scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 6, verses 37 to 42. Please rise for the reading of the word this morning. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will not both of them fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, It is good to be together today, and as we have walked through this series on uh, the Sermon on the Plain, Luke's Sermon on the Plain, what we have looked at is in Jesus' kingdom announcement, when he comes and says, uh, repent, for the kingdom of God is near, that announcement is meant to change everything. The presence of the kingdom through the presence of the king, Jesus, is meant to shape us and mold us to see everything differently in light of who Jesus is, what he models, what he does, and then what he invites us into. The revolutionary nature of Christ's coming and his kingdom cannot be understated. And in this way, we might see the Sermon on the Plain as a kind of preamble to what constitutes life in the kingdom of God. A life we are to experience in the here and now that will ultimately come culminate when Jesus returns. And as we talk about in the Apostle Creed, we'll return to judge the living and the dead. But in the meantime, the only way we are able to rightly see each aspect of Jesus' teaching and see life in the here and now rightly is if we see it in light of the presence of the coming of the kingdom of God. In this way, we must remember to see individual commands in light of the whole passage of Scripture and what it has to tell us, to look at an entire book of the Bible and the rest of Scripture in light of each part in light of the whole. So you've often heard me say that Scripture is its own best interpreter. So in verses, you know, Mike interpreting do not judge, Mike has to look at the rest of that command in light of the rest of Scripture. And here in light of the rest of the teaching of Jesus on the Sermon on the Plain. Do not judge is a really good example of a command that we need to see in light of the whole picture. For elsewhere, Jesus commands us to discern right from wrong in ourselves and others. So we're to be discerning. The difference here is that we must understand the word judge then in light of the previous parts of the Sermon on the Plain. And if we do so, We realize here to judge is to pass judgment on someone, to declare what we believe they justly deserve, and furthermore, to wish that they will get what is coming to them, or at least what we believe is coming to them. 
In that context, in those feelings, Jesus warns against judging that someone, that someone, as your enemy, that they deserve to be hated and punished for hating, cursing, mistreating, striking, or even robbing you, we're told in Luke 6, 27 to 29. The context here also shows that judgment and condemnation are the opposites of love, mercy, giving, and forgiving. The ways that God relates to those who acknowledge him. And when we get in touch with how God has related to us, that's when it revolutionizes our relationships with other people. You see, we often judge people, others, on the basis of appearances, right? We can distrust their motives and see their actions and take their actions at face value when they may be hurtful to us or just don't, their actions don't simply seem to make sense. We judge others based on our sympathy, how we see their situation in the external circumstances instead of trying to empathize with what, what may really be going on in their lives. We want other people to judge us based on our internal heart and, you know, our sense of the purity of our motives, but we have a hard time doing that with others. So what ends up happening is we often judge others on the externals, and then we get frustrated at how people see us because we don't feel like they can see our hearts. The call here by Jesus in the Sermon on the Plain is to give up judging Altogether, because the only one who has the right to judge is God, and He does so righteously. And instead of judging us solely based on our merits, our righteousness, we are told by Jesus that God judges differently. In John 12, He says, If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them on the last day. What is Jesus saying there? He says before he's going to come to judge the living and the dead, Jesus is going to come to save. His first action towards humanity in that way is for our salvation and for our forgiveness. He's the ultimate expression of God's mercy not judgment first. Jesus says, I didn't come to judge. He will, <laughs> when, when he comes again, he will be the expression and, and, and take on that role of judgment in the end, empowered by the Father to do so. But he doesn't come first as judge. And as a result of that, we shouldn't be quick or first to judge. We need to respond and act out of mercy and care as God has done with us. And ultimately, God's going to judge based on our response to Jesus and Jesus' words, not based on our own actions, our goodness, or our evil, the things that we do. Rather, we're going to be judged in light of what Jesus has done. And church, that is very good news. So when we think about judgment and the, the call to not judge other people, we need to see that call and command in light of what God has given us and the way God has already related to us. And if we remember previous parts of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Plain, we're going to remember that, first of all, God has given us mercy versus judgment. 
He says, be merciful as God is merciful. So we're looking at the fact that God is merciful and he, he does not judge us first but extends mercy and then judges based on how we respond to his mercy. He also uh, gives us a sense of uh, commendation versus condemnation. That commendation comes through Christ and what Christ has done for us and the identity Christ is shaping in us as his sons and daughters. If we looked at that passage that we processed last week, it talked about you know forgiving and then you'll reflect that you are a son of the most high God. So we become commended through Christ and what he's done in forgiving us and then we reflect that commendation by going out and living out that way and that is separate from condemnation. Our tendency is to condemn other people based on their actions. We, we don't just take their actions at face value and say, man, that person missed the mark or they hurt me or that kind of thing. We start to condemn other people and say, that's the way they are. Like if somebody reacts in anger towards us, then we're like, ah, it's just an angry person. And we can write them off instead of reflecting the fact that they may have been just having a very bad day. We were uh, at a hotel uh, staying uh, during Josh's cross-country meet down in Calaveras uh, on Friday night. And Beth pulled up. We're about to check into the hotel. And all of a sudden, the car in front of us in the, where you go through to check in just starts backing up. And it looks like he's going to hear us. Uh, hit us and Beth honks her horn and and the guy stops just beforehand and he just starts yelling at us what are you doing there don't you know that I needed to back up and why would you pull up behind us and and I was getting out of the car to check in and and I and I just said uh sorry my wife is just you know waiting in line and you could have pulled forward and you know just kind of walked in and, and checked in and come out and we're we're ready to get into our car then and the guy walked up to me and he just said, I, I want to apologize. He just said, I don't know why I got upset. Your wife had every right to be behind me there. And I was in the wrong. And I just said, I get it. Sometimes we have a bad day or circumstances aren't going our way. We have situations like that all of the time. And we can condemn other people based on them. But what we see in God through Christ is he reflects mercy commends us through Christ as his sons and daughters. You know, that's my son, that's my daughter. And he also reflects forgiveness versus holding our sins against us or, uh, get, or treating us as our sins deserve. When we look at Jesus, we see an infinite amount of self-control and love. And he, he's amazingly able to hold his peace. Sometimes we see other people where they're going through different circumstances and we're like, man, how is that person, how did that person not react? How did they hold their peace in that circumstance? I would have told that guy what I was really thinking about him. But then think about Jesus on the cross and how he demonstrated total refusal to retaliate. He allowed his captors to continue their cruel mockery of him until they had finished Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When he was reviled, when he was treated poorly, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he trusted himself to God who judges justly. In other words, Jesus trusted the Father's judgment throughout his life and that God was going to sort it all out, so he didn't need to then take judgment. 
And this is key. Before coming as judge, Jesus comes as Savior. He intervenes. He doesn't stay on the bench and hit the gavel and say, Mike is guilty. Before that guilty verdict or in the midst of it, he comes down and he pays the penalty. He stands before me and says, I'll do the jail time or pay the penalty for his sin. That's what he does for each one of us. So the purpose of Jesus' teaching then is to forbid revenge, not to encourage injustice, dishonesty, or vice. And we can then see or each opportunity as an opportunity to extend Christ's rule and reign and somehow contribute to his love, mercy, and justice versus continue to spread unrighteousness. True love, through not judging, cares both for the individual you're relating to as well as the impact on society, and it doesn't take action to extend evil, but takes action to promote good. So an authentic Christian response to, the, to this part of the Sermon on the Plain, to not judge, is to, not, um, is to reflect a, a non-resistance and a non-retaliation. Here, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend for the create, through the creative power and redemptive power of God. In other words, we trust that instead of judging people, God can work to transform hearts and lives and bring transformation. And so condemnation and judgment has no place because we don't know the final story. And we don't know the redemptive power that God wants to bring out. But living in light of his reign includes passages in the Old Testament that we've been taught, as well as here in the New, as Jesus expounds upon Old Testament teaching. For instance, Luke nineteen seventeen to 18 says, you shall, not hurt, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall take, not take revenge or bear any grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So just as we saw last week in the golden rule where Jesus said, you know, uh, treat others as you would want to be treated, we are to endue to others as you would want to be done to you. We need to receive the grace and mercy of God and then be prepared to reflect it as we would want to receive it. How would we want somebody to treat us? Would we want them to judge us or condemn us? No. So why do we judge or condemn them? We must always remember, in the, as in the passage in Romans 5 that we read in our litany earlier on, that we were the enemies of Christ that he died for in order to reconcile us to God. And if we remember that he gave himself for us as his enemies to reconcile us to God, we can be prepared to give ourselves in relationship to other people, even when it's a risk and even when it often is costly when people might be hurtful or might reject us. Our obedience in this area will only come from our hearts as we are having this new nature manifested within us. For if we are sons and daughters of the living God, we live through faith in Christ and we can then demonstrate whose sons or daughters we are only when we exhibit the family likeness, only when we act like God. And we're peacemakers and we seek healing and reconciliation and we embrace a love like his. This love isn't first about acts or projects. It's a love that becomes implanted in our hearts, a pervasive condition 
a vision, joy, love in which we, are, we habitually reside in certain qualities of relating to other people. It is a love of the same quality as God's love. And it is a love that we are meant to copy or mirror as we relate to our enemies and those we might be tempted to judge. You see, the answer here is to not judge others, but to continue in persistent love, not to harbor anger. And so to right wrongs without uh, further real or, or imagining, you know, seeing those wrongs as something that becomes rooted in us and where we retain our anger. Because if we do that, we start to cultivate a different quality or different types of characteristics rather than God's characteristics and the qualities of his kingdom. So as Jesus is speaking here and he tells us and commands us to not judge, we all need to see that teaching in light of our need for repentance, our need for God's work in our own lives. And not to separate this out as an individual command, but see the quality or the call to not judge in light of who God is. In other words, we don't judge because ultimately God is judge and he will have the final say. And one of the best things about this when we give up judgment and we trust God's judgment is we become incredibly free. Have you thought about that? Not judging others frees us incredibly. And it's an act of trust in God. Trusting that God himself can judge rightly and that as a result of his ability to do that, we don't need to. Sadly, too often, we think we need to stand in the the judgment seat. Like, hey, this isn't right. And so somebody needs to right this wrong right now. And we put ourselves in that place. But the invitation here is through the grace and mercy of God to give up judging. And trust that Jesus himself, who was full of grace and truth, will ultimately come to judge the living and the dead. In this way, Jesus' teachings show how alive the kingdom of God is in our midst because we have everyday opportunities to practice this, don't we? I mean, there are everyday opportunities to practice non-judgment and to allow God to move us out of those places of anger and a desire for revenge and into a place of love. The best way to see this then is that not judging comes out of the earlier parts of Jesus' teaching. So when he says, you know, don't burn with anger or obsessive desire and lust, he then gets to the pinnacle of human fulfillment in agape or divine love that does not treat others as their sins deserve, but actually trusts that we can go on loving others and not judge them because ultimately God will have the right and the ultimate say. In Romans 14, 14, it says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? And this is a critical question that we can constantly ask ourselves. Who are you to judge? You don't know the whole story, the whole picture. You don't know what that person was going through that day. Often this happens for me where somebody may treat me rudely or be abrupt, kind of reflect an irritability. And I mean, and I, and I just treated at face value like, man, they weren't very nice to me, you know, today. What's going on? And then it might be a week or a month or sometimes some season later where I realized what was going on in that person's life at the time. And I realized, oh, 
If I had been going through what they're going through, I probably would have reacted the same way. So our love for our enemies leads us to not judge other people. And by truly loving our adversary, we stand within God's kingdom resources. And it's very likely that we might draw some of those adversaries into the kingdom through the way we relate to them. In other words, they see us not judging. They see us not retaliating. They see us continuing to risk, to love, and they start to see that there's something different about us. They, want, they see that softness of heart. They see that we're, we're not becoming more and more callous or hard-hearted over life, in life, but actually more loving. And they want to know what is different in that. The reason we're called to live this way, then, is that God lived this way and expressed this kind of character and love through the person of Jesus. He did not judge first, but sent Jesus to save. And we, therefore, need to act first in ways that will bring people and draw people into God's salvation. James 4, 11 through 12 is a wonderful passage that echoes some of these qualities. There James writes, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and only one judge who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Rather, if we trust God, we will leave judgment to him. We won't slander other people or speak ill of them when we don't know the whole story. Rather, we'll treat them as sons or daughters of the living God who are worthy and deserving of his love in light of what he's done. You see, when we judge other people, we're basically saying they still fall within the law. It's like we're treating them in terms of Old Testament relationships, and there's no savior for them. And we're saying, man, they didn't didn't match up to the law. They fell short. They, They didn't act in a way that they should have. Well, what we're doing when we treat somebody like that and we continue to judge them is we're saying that we still want to live in the Old Testament season of salvation history. And we want to judge them and we want to be judged in light of the Old Testament and the law. But if you hold up the Ten Commandments according to my life, I'm going to fall short. You're going to fall short. We need Christ's intervention and to relate out of the salvation history that has come through Christ. Not continue to hold up the law against people in terms of condemning them, but ultimately see that Jesus came and fulfilled the law, and it changes everything. As a result of who God is and how he relates to us then out of mercy and forgiveness, God then commands us, do not judge or you will be judged. Do not condemn or you will be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven positively. Give and it will be given to you. Ultimately, when we receive the mercy of God, then we need to be prepared to show it to other people and stop judging and stop condemning, but continue loving and caring. In Matthew six fourteen, it says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
So if I hang on to my anger and embrace it accordingly and inherently it starts to disintegrate who I am and my personality and my life. And instead of growing in, in God's likeness and his kingdom qualities and characteristics, I start to reflect the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of Satan. And I want to live in light of God's kingdom. And I want you to step into God's kingdom. And if we're going to do that, we're going to give up judging. We're going to give up condemning other people. And we're going to go on forgiving and giving of ourselves in love. Jesus is amazing in his teaching of setting out these qualities, but then telling quick parables to help us catch the message. Because we are visual people, and that's often how we learn and grow. And one of those that he does, or how he teaches this, then he says, the measure you give will be the measure you get back. And he talks about basically our, our having these laps. And, and what he's showing or pick, speaking of is the way the robe of, a, of an ordinary uh, you know, Jewish person at that day, the way you could fold it together through the belt and everything, basically created like your um, uh, TV uh, <laughs> dinner station. I, I'm not thinking of the right way to say this but I think you got the concept. We basically, the robes folded in such a way that you'd put wheat in there. You'd put like food in there to to be able to eat. And in the Old Testament, it talks about paying people back into their laps in Psalm 78, 12. And in Isaiah 65, 6 to 7, it says, I will not keep silent, but will pay back in full. I will pay it back into their laps, both your sins and the sins of your father's. So this pocket that is created by the belt and the fold and the robe, basically prior to this time, you know, the, the sins of the people and, and, and the, the, um, the payment back for what they've done would be going into that place. But now through Christ, it's his blessing of grace if we're willing to receive it. And it ultimately, as he says, if it's pressed down, shaken together, and run over blessings that come out of the generosity of God, it's like our laps are going to be spilling over with his grace and his mercy. And we're not only going to receive that ourselves, but it's going to overflow out of our lives into the lives of others. To live out then God's description of what a non-judgmental life will look like. We are told that a blind God, God or blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? And what that means is your leaders need to continue to mature and grow in Christ and invest in our own discipleship. Otherwise, we will likely lead you astray. And where it says the blind guide will lead somebody a blind astray, it's basically they're going to lead him into a ditch. And I don't want to lead you into a ditch. I want to lead you and help you, nurture you into the life that is in Christ. So what that means is for me to continue to develop a kingdom vision. For me to, you know, to, to confess my own sins. For Pastor Greg, for the leaderships of the church to continue to, continue to seek after God and, and hopefully see things as clearly as possible in light of the kingdom so that we can lead people clearly. It also means for you to not look blindly at your leaders, to hold your leaders accountable, but also look on them with love and not with the judgment and condemnation that Christ has just counseled us against, but to recognize that your leaders are human and fallible. They will fall short, but together in community and connection, we can grow together. What's that going to take? Allowing God to work on our own hearts. 
seeing that none of us is above our, our other teachers, but to humble ourselves and allow other people to teach us and to take that, that log out of our own eye so that we can help our brothers and sisters with the, the, the speck that is in their eye. A friend of mine on Facebook this week put a quote out by a guy named Art Jonick. It said, those who spend their life looking for the faults in others usually make no time to correct their own. That one hits home for me as it might for you, recognizing that I can tend to look at, judge others and see what they should correct or change or ways they need to be transformed. And when I'm doing that and I'm looking out at others that way, what's not happening is the transformation in my own heart and life that is needed. So we need to trust that through Christ we can be transformed, moved out of a life of judgment and into the life that he wants us to have. In John 3, 13, 16, it says, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. In other words, in humility, we need to look at God's power to save us and move us. And we need to then look out at others as we see God looking at us in love. And here's the key. If you remember only one part of this sermon, the only beam or piece of wood in our eye that will enable us to see others clearly is the beam or the wood of the cross of Christ that he took on for us, that he carried for us, that he suffered and died on for us so that those we might be tempted to judge or evaluate as outside of God's grace, we see through the lens of Christ's sacrifice and the focus of God's love and grace. My question to you then is if we follow Jesus' guidelines here in judging others or not judging them, what positive or negative effects might it have on your relationships? I think if you take on this teaching of not judging and not looking at others, you know, instead of, you know, evaluating ourselves and growing ourselves, you will see growth and change and improvement in your relationships. And we will, both within the body of Christ and beyond. Because the world wants to see Jesus. But if we're looking at them through the planks in our own eyes, they won't see him. Nor will we see other people clearly. My encouragement and invitation to you then is to seek to prayerfully relate to other people. Relate to them out of the way that God has related to you. When you might be tempted to judge them from a distance, Go to them directly and work through differences and seek to, be, seek to understand versus just being understood. Believe the best about other people and explain your own situations and circumstances and, and the ways you're relating to people instead of blaming them. If there is something that comes up that you might be tempted to judge about somebody else, be specific, but speak the truth in love. Make sure it's filled with grace that reflects Jesus' fullness of grace and truth, and not just truth. Reflect a type of care-fronting where you care for the people at the same time confronting the issue. And again, root all things in prayer. Because as we talked about through this series, if you pray for people, you can't stay angry at them. If you pray for other people, you will stop judging them. And we all need that. Because it's only Christ, through the, right, the righteous judge, who is ultimately able to judge. 
And the one who had that right to judge has done something entirely different. He came, he lived among us, and then he ultimately pointed to the bread and the cup as the signs and seals of his sacrifice for us. Instead of judging us, he has come to love us. So let us prepare our hearts for communion today. Lord God, we need you. We need your grace and your mercy to just pervade our lives. Wash over us, Lord, and lead us into life anew. As we prepare to partake of your bread and your cup, we pray that it would indeed be the sign and seal of your love for us and the sign and seal of our identification with your death for us. Lord God, you have come and laid down your life. Through communion, may we be reminded of our baptism and the sign and seal that we are connected with you. And may we renew that love relationship with you today through partaking of the bread and the cup. May we thank you and praise you that instead of judging us, you have come and loved us. And for that, we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.
You're beautiful, you're beautiful.